वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द हैबिट्स ऑफ एक्सपीरियंस विल थिंक अबाउट एक्सपीरियंस एंड इट्स पॉसिबल कॉजल कॉन्ट्रीब्यूशन टू थॉट्स एंड नॉलेज हाउ यूनिवर्सल आर सिंपल एक्सपीरियंसिस वेर डू वी गेट आर हैबिट्स फ्रॉम How do we have brand new experiences? Do we often get only what we look for? Can there be empty experiences? How do we change views? How can we design experiments and organizations to potentially see the unseen? Are our conceptions of the world and the self interdependent? What are the open questions and the future of our understanding of experience? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Ravi Bhutalingam. After many years in the business world, he is a psychological and life coach now. His special interests are psycholinguistics and the cultures of Eastern and Inner Asia. Professor Anil Gupta is a philosopher and teaches at the University of Pittsburgh. His areas of interest are logic, epistemology and metaphysics. And Professor Arvind Kumar he was formerly at Homi Bhabha Center for Science Education. and currently teaches at the Center for Basic Sciences in Mumbai. His primary interests are theoretical physics and physics education. So, uh, Anil, why don't you set the ball rolling with you? Uh, you've been thinking about experience and related questions for a bit. Uh, what's got you hooked? Why why are you so interested in the notion of experience what's the problem and um, obviously the core question at some level is this contribution of experience to knowledge to concept formation and so on but why don't we start at a general place and see what's kept you hooked over the years what's the core question for you and we'll see we'll unravel it and keep the ball going from there okay well um we have said different views of the world mm-hmm. you know with um and um some ways of taking the world are reasonable perhaps they're right and some aren't um and w- w- what is how I mean how we should think about the world depends in part at least on experience mm-hmm. um and you mean that in a strict sense that some views of the world are wrong because you said they aren't yes some views of the world i i think they are some views of the world are wrong okay um and uh some ways of taking the world are unreasonable i mean suppose i were to say to you that there is a hippopotamus in this room mm-hmm. that would not be a reasonable belief mm-hmm. and the reason that that's not a reasonable belief is because of the kind of visual experiences we are having right so again that justified true belief being knowledge and so on yeah i, guess, I know yeah. there are other problems there but hmm yeah i guess my 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 own concern has been less with knowledge what we call knowledge sure but how is it that we um how how is that we should think about the world mm-hmm. um and uh i mean i'm interested in in logic so right. i'm interested in proper and good reasoning right uh some of our reasonings don't depend upon immediate experience mm-hmm. if i'm sort of doing a mathematical proof mm-hmm. or giving a mathematical definition Mm-hmm. See, of prime number. Mm-hmm. If I define prime number for you, that doesn't depend upon my present experience. Mm-hmm. But some of our reasonings depend upon our present experience. Some of the concepts that we that that I may introduce, you know, de- may depend upon my present experience. So I might say, well, let me call this piece of paper bill. Right. Well, that definition of of this new of of the name depends in part on experience. Or suppose I were to say, let's call that color, you know, red. That depends on experience. So, um, I've been I've been concerned to understand 
how it is that the goodness of a reason, piece of reasoning depends upon experience. So in a way, your concern is that can all reasoning be formulated in terms of experiences? Is that the most hard form of that? Well, you know, the, 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 there is certain a priori reasoning that you find in mathematics mm-hmm. um, and in physics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important kinds of reasoning are those that depend upon experience. So, I mean, if, if you believe, say, physics, if you believe special relativity, right. the, the, the reasons for, the, the, the reasoning that leads to it, the reasons why we believe it are in part empirical. They depend upon experience. But what is it, you know, what, what, what does experience contribute to a piece of reasoning to make it a good piece of reasoning? Well, what is it that reason contributes to make a concept that is introduced, right, legitimate? So if I were to define a concept, you know, number n, n is the number that you get by dividing 2 by 0. Sure. That would be an illegitimate definition. Sure. That would not be a good concept. Sure. Similarly, some concepts that you might introduce, you know, on the basis of experience are legitimate. Some are not legitimate. And so and you, it's a kind of question that you know, philosophers are worried about. Some people, um, and Hume argued famously, right. that cause is an illegitimate concept. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or the, the ordinary notion of cause is illegitimate. Mm-hmm. That some people have thought, you know, what, what's, what, what experience gives you are certain very simple primitive concepts like, you know, red, blue, sour, right? right. And somehow every, every other concept has to be gotten from it. It has to be justified in terms of it, right? Well, that's one kind of a theory of, you know, of legitimacy of concepts that so all the facts come from experience is 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 that is that what you have in mind there and you know you made a remark just now about physical physical facts let's say facts or concepts in the realm of physics i would imagine that there are ideas there which cannot be experienced at human time and length scales right so um, you know weak forces or strong forces there's no way to have any intuition about those kinds of things, so uh, you arrive at them only analytically. Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, that, that's mm. the thing. That's, that, that's exactly the kind of thing mm. I'm trying to understand. Mm. That is uh, the notion of, um, say, the weak force. Mm. Uh, that's a legitimate notion. Mm-hmm. Whereas the notion of phlogiston, that is not a legitimate notion. Mm-hmm. That's not a good way to think you know, about mm-hmm. heat mm-hmm. Um, or about physical phenomenon. What is it that makes weak force a good notion? Mm-hmm. What's the answer? We get the question. Because are you saying that it's ultimately grounded in experience? Uh, Arvind, is there any way in which the notion of weak force is grounded in experience? I suppose no, you right? mean the notion of weak Human force? Human experience, is, yeah. The, is notion the notion of, of weak interaction, is that yes, what you... Yes. Yeah, I mean... All concepts and weak interaction is part of a model of physics. Yeah, the standard model, which has other yeah, things. Yeah, it later came sure. to be called standard model, but weak interaction was known for a long time. Sure. Ever since the beta decay was discovered. Sure. Uh, yeah, of course, all weak interaction being part of the theoretical structure of physics, particle physics, of course is grounded in experience, but oh. not in experience of the natural kind that you come across, but in more carefully designed experiments. So, so you would it, include that, Anand? Experiments in physics or in science sure. in general, they kind of expand your experience mm. to scales, both in length, time, energy, beyond your the scales yeah, that you perceive. they are mediated pers- by tools, but you do uh, experience them. You, um, you, don't, you don't experience them by the usual perception. tools of perception. Right. But you... you yes. Ex- but they are grounded in experience. They are experimental facts. Sure, so, sure, sure. What do you have to say to that, Adil? Uh, in a way, you know, the question is, mm. what is it to be grounded in experience? Mm-hmm. That's the question. So mm-hmm. consider two models. Okay. Of, of what is it to be grounded in experience? A kind of an old empiricist model, which mm-hmm. I reject, mm-hmm. which goes something like this, that experience, 
provides you with certain fundamental concepts. Just like in arithmetic, you might be begin with certain fundamental concepts and define more complicated ones. Axioms. Sim yeah. Right. So similarly, so you get some fundamental concepts from experience. Sensible concepts. Like for concepts for sensible qualities like hot, cold, right? And then somehow you've got to define explicitly all the other concepts in terms of uh, those fundamental concepts. That is what results in radical critiques. So, so there are some people who have said that, you know, these scientific concepts are not really, they're not capturing anything about reality. They are conveniences that we use for certain purposes. Right. I, I reject that model of concepts and of the legitimacy of concepts. That's one extreme. Hmm. There's another extreme which says, well, we have these systems of physics. Mm -hmm. They have been confirmed by evidence. Mm -hmm. And... Anything that, any, any concepts that these systems employ, that they are legitimate for that reason. That's better than the first one. Right. But I don't completely find that satisfactory either. Mm -hmm. So, but these, these are kind of two models of legitimacy of concepts. Um, um, but the, the thing is, the, the, the point that I want to make is that the relationship between concepts and experience is subtle. It's not simple. Um, and... Um, I mean, even now, it's not fully understood. Um, um, so, Yes, if I can yeah. intervene, yes, I you know, like, uh, what Anil is saying is um, very true. I mean, in science, uh, the uh, concepts are, are uh, limited or grounded in experience. That does not mean concepts are determined entirely by experience. Experience underdetermines the theoretical concepts of science. But it, uh, it is the final arbiter. I mean, the theoretical concepts of science are not entirely free. They are constrained by experience. So you're saying the verification happens at the level of experience. Is that what you're saying? It can be verification or it can be the initial... Uh, the concepts arise from experience, which mm -hmm. you may have to refine later. Mm -hmm. There can be concepts which are free inventions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the end of it all, of course... What do you mean by free invention? Free inventions mean they are, they are not suggested by experience. Mm -hmm. And yet they have a play, uh, role to play in, in science. So what would be an example of a free invention? I mean, for example, it has always been there. The... the Concept of ether, right? Which now has been, which is now an abundant notion. So in things physics. that might start as hypotheses, things which are suggestions yeah, to explain a, something. To explain something, so it's a free invention which has to be, which has to meet the the it's standards or, or the verification of standards of ex science. So, for instance, it was it was initiated to ex to make sense of certain things, right. like the propagation of light or electromagnetic waves. Right. But then when it was critically examined and its consequences were, were subject to verification, it turned out that it was not a correct notion. Sure, and, absolutely. And, and when, the, when it gives the way... theater had to be abundant. Hmm. So it's, uh, the, the, that's what I meant by saying that... Um, uh, Experience un underdetermines. It governs the theories, but it is it underdetermines. Not all parts of theory can be derived from experience. And uh, the meaning of underdetermination is there could be several theoretical models or several system of concepts which could which would accord with the experience. I think the question is that are they ultimately derivable from experience? Now, the immediate concept that leads to a certain fact or the subconcepts of it may not be linked to experience directly, but as you keep going below, this uh, what you are saying is, I think, was the dream of logical empiricists right. of twentieth century, mm. logical positivists. They thought that all statements in science mm. they had to be of one of the two kinds, either they had to be just logically consistent. Mm -hmm. Statements, mm -hmm. may, maybe definitions, mm -hmm. which don't need verification. And all other statements of science must be Derivable. observationally verifiable. Right. 
So all the entire theory, theory, all the theories of science should be convertible to a set of observation statements. Right. Right. However, this dream, although they they thought uh, they would ultimately succeed in doing it, they did not succeed. Right. So you to your question whether every concept is directly has a one-to-one correspondence with experience. In my opinion, the answer is no, not yet. And you know, let's bring in the notion of language, here, Ravi. Do you have Do you have anything to say to that? What kind of a role does? Well, uh, I'd like yeah. to yes bring about two aspects. Uh, Please. First of all, we've been looking at experience as uh, as something which builds knowledge. Mm-hmm. But I'd also like to explore experience as something which creates human social bonding and contact. And indeed, if one looks at uh, it from an evolutionary point of view, mm-hmm. perhaps experiences were first uh utilized if one might use the word or or came into uh, utility in life more through the process of building human relationships even before uh, the building of knowledge for example if i hear a sound if i'm a caveman and i hear a sound and you also happen to hear that sound mm mm-hmm then we share that experience maybe it's a lion's roar mm. i've heard it so have you mm-hmm. so this adds greater let's say weightage to that experience so if one were to paraphrase that are you saying that the social experience of something comes much 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 before the kind of abstract theorization the social experience talking, yeah. of because experience is after all derived from your senses mm-hmm. it is something you see you smell or, or whatever but ravi the question is how can i be sure that you and i are hearing the same roar the the lion's roar if you know what i mean because um, and again you know there is there are concepts and there are concepts and there are concepts so if 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 i had to put some kind of a value to the amplitude of the volume of the lion's roar then you know it's okay to be approximate about it and you and I don't exactly need to know the same thing uh so there are fuzzy categories and there are very sharp categories and so on but how do we address that intersubjectivity question well in uh in in these kind of social relations hmm. the exact let's say the frequency of the noise hmm. or the amplitude of it Hmm. really doesn't matter right. as long as it is within Roughly, within broadly. the range of being recognizable sure. right and so long as so, we share the same tag and the same associations right. so yeah. what happens is that uh, when i hear the lion's roar mm-hmm. and i say hey did you hear that lion roar right and you say yes i i heard it roar yeah what happens between us is we have a shared experience mm-hmm. that we have heard this lion roaring mm-hmm. and we carry some sort of shared meaning in that mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so this is what happens when you say if you are listening to music yourself or you are listening to it along with somebody else mm-hmm. or in a group of friends these give rise to shared experiences but are there is there a way to answer the question of are there some sorts of experiences which can be shared more easily than others uh, if you know what i mean like well experiences which uh, you generate yourself like mm-hmm. a chain of thoughts going on in your head uh you will others cannot really yeah, share them I mean unless external you, experiences unless you vocalize them in some way sure but when there is an experience which externally generated mm-hmm. and it is shared by others or you make it shareable by others mm-hmm. then that forms a linkage between the individuals and therefore it it the experience therefore carries a social value quite distinct from the knowledge value or the conceptual value that it carries in creating some kind of a social bond and in the very early days of human evolution this is what people speculate that this is what caused people to come together because if i was again a caveman traveling around and i found a blue herb 
and I asked you, hey, is this a blue herb? You said, yes, it's good to eat. So there you added to the experience, Enhance you the added a knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So I say, hey, he knows about herbs. I go somewhere else and I see, I see a red herb and I ask the guy there, uh, do you see a red herb? And he says, no. And his his interest is not in herbs at all. He's a, let's say, animal hunter. So then I classify him as, hey, this guy is not a, that much use to me. He is a tribe X. I label him tribe X and I am tribe Y. So these, there are social values of... What are they uh, getting at here, Ravi? I mean, how does it link to the experience question? How does it link to the habit of experience question? Well... Of course, uh, there is this tagging business of... I'm trying to point out that in the experience, there is the seed of conceptual knowledge and thereby the building up of whole infrastructure of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And there is the seed of social bonding sure. and the creation of human relationships. Sure. The second aspect which I'd like to point out in experience is that an experience uh, to be discussed in any forum needs to be communicated. Mm. And when you communicate it, you need language to do it. Mm-hmm. Language is therefore a faculty which of which um, we take for granted. We talk of the five senses. Sure. But language is in fact a core additional sense because even if you lose one of your senses, you can, you can live life in a fairly full way, some shortcomings. But if you lose language, you are completely... I think the question, Ravi, is that does language play a significant role in this transmission of an experience that one has or it plays a role in the experience itself, in the encoding itself, in the, in the very... It, it, it plays a role in both. It plays how, how a role in the encoding and the, the very uh, essence of an experience. How does one know that? How does one answer that rigorously? So if, if, if I've grown up in Venezuela and somebody has grown up in China... And we have, let's say, very different natural languages. Of course, there are many things that are hopefully common between the two of us. I mean, do we then experience the world, the same world around us differently? I mean, would it? Yes, indeed we do. In Mm -hmm. fact, this, the very famous theory that was first expounded by Sapir and Worf, Mm -hmm. who actually said that different languages are like different tram lines. Tram lines. Tram lines. Mm -hmm. One, he used the word tram lines. Mm Mm-hmm. One tram goes on this track, the other tram goes on that track. Mm-hmm. And he put a very deterministic view. So this is the Sapir War hypothesis. That's right. Yeah. If you speak one language, you have one kind of experience. And if you speak another one, you have a very different Where are you language. on this, Anil? I mean, does where are you on this? Uh, but let me just yes, let me just carry on because that's not yes. the end of the story. Very quickly, sure. this was challenged by Chomsky, mm-hmm. who, who, who sure. brought out his theory of the universal, universal grammar and all, grammar that. And all right. that. But more recent research mm-hmm. has come back not to such a deterministic and extreme version mm-hmm. as Sapir and Worf had, mm-hmm. but certainly to a, a version that the language you speak does determine the contours of the experience you have. And now there is a lot of experimental evidence backing it. For example, let me give you a small example. Uh, we, we talked, uh, Armin was talking about measuring physically, physical stimuli and giving it a particular number. Sure. Now, if you take, for example, the color blue, mm-hmm. I mean, that occupies certain frequencies, right? Wavelengths, yeah. But everyone doesn't see blue in the same way. That's the funny part of it. A Russian speaker, and Russians have different words for blue, ranging... Depending they may just see it in a more differentiated way, but clearly you see the same wavelength. Depending right? on the color, mm-hmm. the range of color, they have different words. And therefore, they can distinguish the shades of blue better than a person speaking, let us say, English, where there is only one blue. Well, that's a little bit like that Eskimo snowflakes example. Exactly. Yeah, so you just have a greater conceptual differentiation 
and you also it, have it, more it is not only them. conceptual differentiation it is attentional it is you pay attention because your environment has caused you to pay that attention an eskimo survival depends on his or her ability to see different types of snow that's fine yeah yeah and to have yeah. categories for it yeah um uh, this is survival skill so sure. they have they have developed that ability just as different people have developed that ability and that's got classified into their language and they it, it actually makes them experience things differently so that's interesting yes anil i mean does does language play a role at all in 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 the experience of things and we'll get to the transmission question later but you know what we're trying to get at yeah well the, the 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 interesting thing here is that um that without experience language doesn't make any sense i mean yeah that's that, a great point that that um and the word blue I mean, would, 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 the would, word blue means what it does in part because of what blue relationship, is because of its relationship to experience mm. right so i mean the the experience is responsible for for giving language meaning but at the same time then you know um, as ravi is saying language can affect experience so there's a kind of a two way dependency there but when what is recursive they they do they impact each other the two the two dimensions yeah experience and language yeah i i think they do impact each other but I, yeah uh, but it seems to me here the following seems to me like a good way of thinking Please. about experience uh, and then it goes back to the question of you know being the same experience or not right i mean uh, experience has a kind of an objective dimension mm-hmm. so you know you're now you're now having a visual experience of this notebook the notebook is kind of the object right and we are all seeing the notebook right the yes. same object but then there is a kind of a subjective dimension of experience which you know some philosophers i like to call phenomenology right. of experience right that phenomenology depends on a whole bunch of different factors right from a, the viewpoint from which you know you're looking i'm looking my state of mind my eyes the state of my right brain all those things affect what you might might call the appearance that this that this that this uh, a notebook gives to you so that's so the reality appearance this that's right so right. there is so on the one side there is the object mm-hmm. right and then there is the appearance that is manifested to you mm-hmm. now the appearance can change mm-hmm. right and appearance can be affected by many things mm-hmm. such as sure. even linguistic abilities and skills and what not but right? the reality but the object is the same so you and i can be talking about even though we look at the the notebook for, from different points of view right we have the we are talking about the same object and we can have communication and right? we may call it different blues but it is one blue i mean in 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 reality it is yeah only but only one that, color right? right i mean that's that depends in part upon your the theory of color of that, a theory of color i mean yes. suppose you think that colors are genuine qualities of physical objects yeah. that blueness is really in there yeah. right and there's definite quality like you might think of a tiger as a different kind of a species yes uh, in the world <laughs> right and, yeah but so if you, if you if you think of if you're realist with respect to color then you might say there is one color out there in the world which we are all seeing and that color may give us different appearances right but suppose as actually the color scientists these days think that color is not a real thing right yeah. so then it may be that that is cla- the fact that the, is appearances that guide our classification of color that's a great point so, you know so you know in reality so, so, there is no uh, such thing as color well, it's only yeah, perceived the, what is the i would say what is what the reality is i don't see that blue until it is transmitted through my eye and it hits my optic nerve and it stimulates certain cells over there that's that's okay? fine and those cells tell me it is particular this now the filter that i have interacting between my brain and my eye is my language so if i were a russian right that particular wavelength of x right which you're seeing and i'm seeing because of my language filter i have given it a particular name and therefore i see that particular thing as 
a certain it hits the cell the which codes it at, as a certain I think one gets name, that one gets that right? I think the question yeah. is that are we talking of just different tags or but I think yeah I think we are yeah, but going to, into the, in the experimental going design into, context no, but to me you see we talk to experience to me the experience is of seeing blue one as opposed to blue two right whereas to you it is one undifferentiated blue three sure so the experience for me sure is therefore different this is what i'm getting at sure. language is a filter which which codes the experience in a particular way let me there are many let me distinguish a little bit here yeah. let me distinguish and I, I, I mean suppose you distinguish just this is a crude distinction we should make, we can make finer distinctions but suppose you distinguish between the thing out there the mm-hmm. property out there whatever it is mm-hmm. right the appearance mm-hmm. which can vary from person to person mm-hmm. right and the tag Mm-hmm. and with the tag you can distinguish between you know what the tag is true of when the tag is comes into play and things like sure. that sure that's right then it could be that the russian speaker even though they have different tags and different classifications the appearance may be the same the appear the the, the the russian may look at a blue thing the blue sky and may have the same appearance but the tag is different, tag may be different. the tag is different Yeah. And, and, the, and the Russian is, is disposed to make more distinctions, let's say, than I am. But I think so. It may be useful to distinguish between the, the, reality, appear, the, appearance the, the, the reality, appearance, and, and the, the tag. tag. Yeah. Right? So it could, I think it's not obvious that if the tags are different, and if the classification using the tags is different, that the appearance is different. I think that's an empirical question. That's a great so, point. So, I mean, I w- so, yeah, but the, I think we are talking of the... Con- the connections between the real or primary qualities of objects their perceptions the and the language tags and so on but there is also a deeper question as as far as science is concerned whether the experience filled you know obtain objectively without being colored by our perceptions etc mm-hmm. through objective instrumentation mm-hmm. which which would not have these problems of perception you know human perception and so on mm-hmm. there is a deeper question whether those experiences themselves can lead to uh scientific knowledge by themselves i think we started off with that uh question whether objective physical experiences mm mm-hmm. uncolored by per- perception matters of you know the confusions of perceptions whether even they would lead to whether they can lead to scientific knowledge uh pers by themselves but, it, but uh, it, the 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 if you think if you think of objective experiences as yeah. obtained through instrumentation yeah but then the inst- first of all the instrumentation has to be designed yes and it has to be interpreted and so the whole human what, thing th- is coming in there that is precisely what i am getting so here so yeah. that's the observation is, experiment uh, observation the, and interpretation is medi- is mediated by mm, our theoretical concepts yeah. our the- theoretical modeling already yeah so there is a theory embeddedness of observations and yeah. even experiments yeah which something uh, different from what people conceived or thought of science in the early earlier days in the beginning of the scientific revolution yeah, the classical yeah the classical kind of view that well you have objective analysis and of course people knew that our our experiences our subjective experiences can be uh, can be different depending on our subjective states so try to make the experiences as objective as possible but as Arun, unbiased this, as possible sure is this is this just a intellectual worry or it's actually led to uh, wrong conclusions somewhere along the way in the journey of science if you know what i mean so this theory embeddedness i think it kind of makes sense when one thinks about it so does that just arm one with a certain degree of skepticism and caution or or no, have the, we ended the, up you see the basic insight of science as far as i understand is that uh experience itself has to be has to go through critical scrutiny even objective experience 
obtained from instrumentation which have no problems of perception right. have have to go through critical casual experience your the your set habits of experience which right. are generally casual habits of experience they can lead to wrong notions of science and the classic example and this has great pedagogical importance right because the um, children have like all everybody else the tendencies they, they have they experience the world yeah and they abstract from the, those habits of experience certain intuitive theories right certain naive theories right those theories are good enough to to explain their experience in a limited way but what science has shown is that you have to d- go beyond that you have to defy as ferabend said you have to defy the experience defy intuition defy and defy the... your intuition right. to get at the real scientific knowledge so uh, the the point is experience casual experience by itself is not a very reliable source of knowledge the experience has to go through critical analysis that's the lesson of science is experience by default habitual tendential customary um, both the individual sort and the social sort anil where are you on that can i say something to Please, what sh- um, of course you uh, can arvin said um, you know I, i i like to think of experience as not providing any beliefs or knowledge or being given misleading experience by itself right doesn't mislead doesn't get you into error it doesn't tell you anything the way i the way i think of it sure so if you take your visual experience now roughly i would say what's going on is that some bits of reality are presented to you sure and they are pres- then they're manifesting say various appearances to you sure that's all sure it's not telling you anything so the experience is not telling you that that is red yeah right and it's not telling you it's not red it's it not is out. just it's just a fact the yeah. fact is that there is this thing out there yeah. and it's manifesting various appearances to you and then you have you we, we develop modes of thinking like this ordinary naive physics mm-hmm. and uh those can be wrong but the and and we can get a better under, you know we can get a better understanding of our own experiences by getting into deeper theories right so i would say that so the thing to be critically analyze is the thought process that's right it's is not the interpretative methods it is it is what we are trying to do is sort of understand our situation in the world hmm. and you know we have got a naive conception of our own situation in the world maybe, you know, maybe the conception might be that we live on a flat earth right yeah, yeah, and yeah. we just instantaneously take in reality but right you, and if that, i may say so humans do not have humans have a propensity to build up uh, models about their experience humans the don't, humans don't experience children don't just experience or anybody any human being they don't we don't just experience the world we want to create some rudimentary models of the world in order to deal with future experience that's entirely agreeable yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. one one experiences alongside building however naive theories yeah, in order right. to function in the world it's not for it's, the it's sake of building it's not for the intellectual reason yeah, right, it's just right. to function the that's world right. for for example an example will help we from our experience in childhood from from sure. infancy sure we come to the impression that that to move to move a body some force is required yes to push something you every baby knows that you need a little force yes from that a rudimentary model is created that force is needed rest and motion these are two different categories but even the, classical mechanics would tell yeah, us that it's not <laughs> these are two different categories but what i'm saying is this model is useful to be able to function in the world yeah so we function in the world we jump and we catch trains when we throw balls we need some theories in order to be able to deal and manage and we deal with hot and cold objects we deal with light and shadows and images we need some theories to be able to function the world so they are functionally so, correct but yeah, they are functionally incorrect. correct mm. Mm. and the job of mm. sci- the job of science is to go beyond this functionally correct thing which has limited coherence and predictability <laughs> to to a more artificial system 
that has greater coherence and much greater predictability and predictive power it's a logical problem how to do that i'd like to add here yes. what arvind is saying uh, by going back to the concept of object appearance and tag yes see the tag is our daily currency that's what we use mm-hmm. when we start analyzing and discussing experiences and therefore we should we should give some thought to this tag as playing a role uh, much more than that of a marker it is actually a marker which subsequently creates or like a magnetic force creates a channel for all future experiences let me give you an example uh, again using language mm-hmm. of how this happens now let's say that i've had an accident right mm-hmm. and uh, i've come with my arm in a sling you ask me what happened and i say i broke my arm right yeah so uh, now normally you would sympathize and all that but you would not ask me ravi did you go and bash your arm against a wall or something right so i say no of course not i slipped you can legitimately ask me but you said i broke my arm i subject broke verb my arm that means i bashed it against a wall but this is a linguistic foible because in english that's how we say it but in hindi you will say aat toot gaya in most indian languages you use what is called a non agentive phraseology sure something happened pani gir gaya right the english is a highly agentive language which which means it prescribes usually an agent subject is always the actor does something yeah, and something else happens there is a flow like that of causality now why is this important this is very important when you have for example an accident scene or a crime scene and when you have witnesses coming there and giving an account of instances or if you don't want to be so dramatic uh, you show people a video of some events happening you show a set of people that as in an experiment and then ask them to describe what happened in that video sure now what happens is an english speaking person more likely to describe it as a set of things where agents did some things and some things happened so non agentive languages like hindi or tamil or spanish will describe the same video in a way that certain things happened they are not so clear about who did what to whom so ravi if we extend this forward a little bit if we have different primary natural languages uh, are you suggesting that they arm us with very different tendencies even um, the, yeah that that's exactly I mean, it's does, like does, a software which is loaded but is, is that loaded. just at the level of articulation or it's also at the level of the thought process that's, that's at, always the question right are we uh, that's at the level of a thought process and why i say that is that these very people when they are trained to speak a different language they are able then to adopt the different version and that learning of the other language one of the reasons why it's difficult is it's not just the physical articulation of the language or the rules of grammar it's also because it changes the course of your thinking to a certain extent mm-hmm. and that is why learning languages is difficult and learning it at a later stage is even more difficult can i ask you a question about that sure uh, that the example that you gave mm-hmm. right, um i broke my arm that is not the kind of example that would mislead an actual english speaker right that is yeah. no one would no one would take it normally Indeed. that that you really actually broke your arm Mm-hmm. you went to the you put in the effort um are there there must be but there are there examples where you see you know this kind of the way it is expressed the way it is formulated actually affecting people's you know yeah behavior does it i mean there must be some literature on psycholinguistics about this right i wonder if there's another example where this kind of 
formulation affects your thought process. Yeah. Not right. Well, it does affect. As I gave uh, my example of the video reporting, if you show the same video to different language speakers mm-hmm. and ask them to describe what they saw, their recitation of that video is different. There is so that is that different at the incidental level, which just happens to have a different structure and you know verb object. No, it, they they describe the sequence and their assumption of the logical the, flow the, of yeah. events differently. So if this were a courtroom and you were taking evidentiary depositions, you would mm-hmm. get a different picture by talking to these groups of people. But you would still know the same facts, right? I mean, one is the so um, I I I don't. It's obviously difficult to come up with a situation on the fly. But in no courtroom in the world are you like are you likely to go get to the wrong verdict as a result of no. What will whether uh, the no no what will happen is the events that the video showed mm-hmm. the English speakers would in probability terms be more inclined to describe them as a did. Something and B happened. Sure. Right. Whereas the other language speakers could describe it as B happened. Now, what made B ha- happen? They may not be so clear about. Sure. Sure. Okay. Sure. So, so the 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 same objectivity as revealed in the film is being assimilated and described. In a different manner, because the processing network in the brain is is the software loaded is different. Sure, that's fine. I think this question of language. Um, there are many other. Uh, there are some other angles to it, and that is, see, language is uh, always has a certain you know ordinary natural language has some ambiguity. Mm-hmm. It's characterized by ambiguity. Actually, its ambiguity is, in some sense, its richness. To to describe a single concept, it can have many words. So, a formal knowledge system like science, for example, that's one one language problem about science. That uh, a scientific language has to be more precise. and generally one one concept has to be associated with one term right whereas natural language has many terms for the same there can be many same, mapped to it there may, there can be many terms for the same concept and uh, this this is one of the one of the one of the many reasons for student problems in, in science i'll give you an example mm-hmm. for instance in natural language if you say that the railway engine came into to the platform with great force right or with great momentum or with with great push or whatever words you you might use but in the context of uh, physics they are all totally the, very different concepts uh, yeah. yeah and in the context of physics the words force and momentum have entirely different meanings yeah and uh, and this clear distinction between concepts that that there is one to one correspondence you usually it's not always true even in science but usually there is a one to one correspondence between the concept and the word that is associated which is not true in natural language it's one of the reasons why science is regarded as a more dry and formal system of right. communication it's boring because it doesn't employ the richness of natural language <laughs> it doesn't always enjoy uh, you know employ the metaphors that are so characteristic of uh it does sometimes it's not entirely absent but it is much less than natural language so this is one uh, uh, ma- many times uh, another aspect to it is many of the misconceptions about in science actually are em- embedded because they are natural experience as i said earlier sure, sure, sure. that these are natural habits of experience they get embedded in our languages i'll give an example and they in fact the language then perpetuates this misconception for example in in all languages in hindi marathi or various any also in english uh you say her her eyes shone brightly 
and in hindi That's the extra mission theory yeah, versus yeah, all of that exactly yeah, right or right. in hindi sometimes if you if a person is no more you say uske aankhon ki jyoti bujh gayi sure so sure. these this language is in fact creating a wrong model of and perpetuating uh, perpetuating science so i mean that's that's one difficulty of science education that you have to make students aware that the kind of language they are speaking in their natural their natural language may have wrong may physics have wrong, <laughs> wrong ideas sure in a way yeah the there is even it is there is a process right we begin with a kind of a naive conception of the world we begin with a language which has yeah. all these features mm-hmm. and somehow we are able to improve it yes. or we think we are improving it the question you know how we improve it what resources are coming to play as we improve it well one thing is clear experience comes into play mm-hmm. right so the the initial question that i started with you know to understand the logical process by which concepts become sharper concepts concepts become so that they actually talk about the real things in the world as opposed to made up fiction say right? right we have stories some words simply refer to made up things sure some words refer to illusions right sure some words refer to real things and you know so that's the, the processes by which our ideas get improved naive theories become better theories process by which concepts get sharper that is the kind of thing you know that i am trying to understand in the, in, the, in this work in the role of experience and just to go back to an, an, an earlier example you know, of um uh arvinds where he talked about precreation so here's a kind of question i mean you have experience of say time you experience things as simultaneous question does this experience such is is the experience such that you can go along and say the simultaneity right is not absolute i mean yeah you're making I the mean, relativity point yeah that's right so i mean yeah the, again, again what, how much constraint does experience put on uh, your change of concepts does ordinary experience of time constrained it so right that simultaneity must be treated as an absolute concept on some old theories of you know relationship between experience and thinking the conclusion would have been yes it it it, it, it implies that simultaneity must be absolute and therefore any theory that says it isn't is kind of fictional story you're just telling a story for convenience right so but after we know relativity but the, the question is how do we get to relativity i mean what Is, is, could, could, could one argue that relativity is an? What's the answer? How do we get to relativity? Is 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 it by employing very different formal methods? I'm taking no, out I mean, the. Well, I would. I would say Einstein himself said that most physical concepts are free inventions of the human mind. So, so which, you, when you you heuristically you try out certain certain notions. And so when you say free you mean they are are free in the sense they are not determined by experience, um, experience or causal input but, yeah. but as i have been emphasizing at least in science experience is the final experience in the form of highly precise experiments is the final arbiter no i think my question is flipped around yeah. my question is that after whatever einstein did yeah. in the last 100 yeah. odd years of relativity is the notion of simultaneity less intuitive are we are we able to hold the non simultaneity point in a more intuitive way do you know what i mean does it also feed into intuition does it feed into human intuition at least in the world of physicists no but well, i guess i would i would say that the relative notion of simultaneity mm-hmm. is perfectly consistent and doesn't violate ordinary experience it's not as if experience settles that simultaneity must be a two place relation between events mm-hmm. it doesn't do that no it's and 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 i think what what the, the genius of einstein was to see that phenomena makes better sense when simultaneity is treated as a three place relation say right um But to to answer the question it continues to be counterintuitive educationally any any at the at the level of teaching at the level of learning and teaching only the, even the at the place. level of expert of an expert it continues to be counterintuitive i mean for example <laughs> quantum mechanics the other big theory of no, physics is of course counterintuitive as everybody knows and uh, 
it's it remains counterintuitive even to the expert, except that the expert uh, learns to live with that counterintuition and manages it mathematically or yeah, no one, you know, one gets that. But it doesn't. Uh, if you are asking, does it become part of his intuitive experience? No, I think it doesn't. So but, there, 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 yeah. but while, while yeah. Einstein actually brought in the space-time continuum and so on, it's quite interesting that many centuries before Einstein, common language has equated time and space in a very uh, uh, in a very commonplace way. Many languages measure time in terms of space. In terms and, of length and, and space, space in terms, in terms, in terms of, of time. time yeah. And it's very interesting how they do it. In English, for example, you go forward into the future yes. and the past is behind you. So the arrow of time is there in a yes. different kind of way. Yes, but mm. in, in Chinese, for example, the past is above. They measure it in a vertical plane. The past is above and, and the, the past is below. And the future is the future is below. Oh, the past is above. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the past is above and the future is, 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 is below. And similarly, you measure um, you That's measure fine. time in in terms of space. You so say, where are this we is a short this? meeting, long meeting. So where so are where why don't we spend the last five, ten minutes thinking about this? So where are we on this question, Anil, after having thought about this for a few years? What's the contribution of experience to reasoning in the very long run, in the next thousand years, two thousand years? Are we what question are you exploring and where are we likely to get? Well, I can't make very long-term predictions. Um, um, but I mean, the imme- immediately in the future, um, uh, or maybe let's say 10, 50 years, <laughs> maybe 100 years, um, I mean, I guess the, the, the experience, right? Experience, there is, there is this experiencing subject, there is the object, and then there is what I'm calling appearance, right? I mean, I think um, we are very unclear about what the experiencing subject, the self, is. I expect, I expect us to get clear about the metaphysics of the self, the nature of the self. It's been too easy for us, you know, to take the self as kind of a primitive point or a substance, and that's the wrong way of thinking about the self. You, you think it's very, it's, it's, it's that that demarcation is fuzzier than it's made out to be. Is that yeah, so? It's point? much more subtle. The, the self is a very subtle thing. What is it? I mean, it's, I think saying that it's subtle. Don't, don't ask me that. That is that's I, another sin talk, but sure, uh, sure. and a hard question. But I think the, the, this notion, the, the, there are two difficult notions in thinking about experience mm-hmm. philosophically and from the logically. Mm-hmm. And these two notions are the self and phenomenology. In a way, reality is easier. Phenomenology and the self, right. the appearance and the self. And some people have felt that you really cannot make sense of this within a kind of a physicalist framework. You really need to have, you know, go beyond physics, beyond the material world to make sense of the self. Um, I, 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 I'm skeptical of that. And the arguments that have been given up, you know, in philosophy that the self cannot be treated or the or phenomenology cannot be understood in physicalistic terms, I think are, are fallacious, are fallacious. Um, but how self is to be understood and how appearances are to be understood, that's a really subtle question. And I think we'll be thinking about that for at least 100 years more. Um, um, yeah. Well, as far as science is concerned, the ex- experience has to be continuously expanded, the domain. So we we should go to smaller and smaller lengths, scales of lengths and time, and higher and higher lengths and scales of time and energy. And as our domain of experience expands, uh, the theories which are limited to the present domains of experience have to be tested against those new scales. And there are bound to be changes as we go along in the theories. So experience is a continuous kind of monitor on the theories and as you as the experience grows the theories evolve you know it's a continuous process of revision modification and so on probably in your context if we think of the the coach in you um, and one were to make that link between experience and reasoning or learning or what one what one is able to understand or imbibe maybe change one's beliefs in 
is is there something there about what sorts of experiences are able to um lead to a belief revision let's say is is, is there a way of codifying that or is there a way of saying something semi solid in that context if you know what i mean well if you attempt to kind of get boil uh, coaching to its essence mm-hmm. it's really trying to review the experiences that the person has had and recast them in such a way that there is a, a, what you might call an aha moment where the person sees those experiences in a light which gives him or her a moment of intuition to looking at that experience again but taking away different meaning from it and that is the starting point the spark plug for a possible change but that's the what needs to be yes. done side of it but how is it done so that's again done by taking all these experiences shaking them up and throwing them in the air so that a different pattern is revealed so the whole process of doing this uh is to create a kaleidoscope where the person is used to looking at these experiences in a certain set of patterns you try and help him to see a different pattern in that and that's where the the change in thinking or attitude in or behavior then starts so that's the essential starting point for any uh coaching intervention which is designed to bring about a change in behavior do you have any guess on this as a logician anil and how does one um because it's essentially a process of understanding interpreting one's own past experiences or one and i know we are using the word experience here with in a very different sense than in this context that we've used it in so far but how does one arrive at a different conclusion from the same set of facts and i know it's very general i know it's yeah, a very general yeah. question one totally gets it but i guess the revision analogy was, was uh, excellent um, i guess the question of drawing attention right is drawing attention to the experiences the same old experiences um and um and perhaps even juxtaposing those experiences with the other yes. people right i think attention the word you use is absolutely material because it's it's the attention you to you give to something which you may not have paid attention so to so something earlier. that has been underemphasized is or overemphasized is, is, is decreased yeah. and so on so it's actually changing the contrast the relief that that one that hmm. that, that actually comes to you know experience is an undifferentiated thing and something has to tell you what to look for so mm-hmm. you know there is to be a philosopher of science who used to in fact emphasize this point that you can't get anything just from experience without some pre pre existing thought and he would come to the classroom and say observe <laughs> <laughs> and students would look at each other and say what what to observe <laughs> you know it's like those that that so, optical illusion right <laughs> where uh you have a you have a picture which sometimes looks like a young girl and sometimes looks like an old woman old woman yeah yeah and it if you look at it it keeps alternating yeah now you take a situation where someone has got fixated into looking at this picture and it, he only sees the old woman so if you give him an opportunity to say hey there is a young girl in there then he this whole new interpretation is so this some is, kind of an interplay here between reality and appearance yeah I mean, yeah I mean, there's there's is what's going on in there um but I, I, you know i guess i disagree um um uh, that is all undifferentiated i mean i think experience is highly structured when I mean, there is the reality out there which you're experiencing there is the appearances but the question is what to think what to think that is that is up in the air and we can think rightly and we can think wrongly and we can think rationally and we can think irrationally is it easy to think wrongly yeah it's easy to think wrongly why 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 are we prone to thinking wrongly oh oh easy that's i'm not that's a different way whether we are prone but i mean i can easily entertain false thoughts right yeah of I course i can see yeah, right right 
um that's like saying can you think of hypothetical stuff of yeah, course the answer yeah. is yes yeah but i think one is in the word wrong and obviously the word the proneness the habit side of things yeah yeah but i think i guess that would vary from person to person I, as a logician i have no view on that mm. right um mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. um mm. interesting i think that's a good note to end this on thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you take care thank you thank you thank you thank you